Hey guys, welcome to episode four of the Daily Hustle podcast. I'm here today with Nikki Dang, also known as Nikki Trains on Instagram. As you can see, we're in a little studio today. Nikki has basically helped me set this up, so I'm really, really grateful to have this opportunity to actually record and also uh, have this in audio version too. So to start, Nikki, tell me about your day to day and what you do at the moment. Um, so me waking up in the morning, I usually wake up at maybe 4.30, 4.45. It's super early, um, only because I've got to go to work. So I get, wake up to go to the gym, yep. spend around two hours there, an hour and a half, um, go home, get changed, shower, it takes me an hour, which I'm not really happy about, but <laughs> it's all right. Put my face on, um, go to work. Put your face on. Put my face on your eyebrows, the whole work. <laughs> okay. Takes me a solid hour. <laughs> right. Um, and then I go to work. At what time? Maybe I leave work. I leave the house at seven forty-five, eight. Okay. Get to work. So you wake up at four thirty. Get to the gym at what five? Yes. And then you train from five to seven. Yes. And then you leave the house at like seven forty-five, eight. Yeah. And get to work at nine. Nine. Right. Okay. And then how long are you at work for? Till about five. Okay. Yeah. And what do you do for work? I am a podiatrist. Right. Yes. So you look at feet all day. Yeah, pretty basically. much. How does that work? What do you do as a podiatrist? <laughs> So podiatrists are lower limb kind of specialists, so foot and ankle. Um, it's a very you know, not known profession. It's pretty niche. Very niche. Yeah. That's why I really want to get into it. Oh, yeah. um, but pretty much premises that anything on the foot and ankle, lower limb, podiatrists can deal with. So okay. heel pain, uh, corns, callus, ingrown toenails, any wounds, any biomechanical stuff, knee pain, ankle pain, give it to me. Okay. And so, how do you feel about being a podiatrist and looking at feet all day? I know that you get teased quite often, not by me. Oh, 100% <laughs> not by you. Um, what gave you the idea to become a podiatrist? Yeah. And why do you like doing it now? So, feet doesn't really bother me. I think my whole idea is that because we're on our feet 24 hours a day, you know, someone's going to take care of it. Yeah. Um, and it's just part of the allied health kind of realm that I want to kind of delve into. Mm-hmm. Um, so starting my whole journey with podiatry in high school, I really, I knew I wanted to get into health because okay. everyone in my family is in health. My sister's radio offer, my cousin's a doctor, my other cousin's a physio, you okay. know, knew I really wanted to get into it. Um, but I didn't know how the heck to get into it. Yeah. So I had my heart at for like for physiotherapy, like my oh, really? heart and soul okay. was into it. And um, what was this during high school? During high school, and myself and another friend, Jema, we were. <laughs> <laughs> Jema, look at episode three for Jema. Go to episode three. Um, we were kind of like going for it together, not like we were competing, but like we were helping each other out. And I didn't perform too well in my HSC. Oh really? Um, yeah, didn't get into physiotherapy at oh. all. But I think at the same time, I wasn't sure what I wanted. Like it wasn't, you know, some. In year 12, it wasn't like physiotherapy. Like, there was no second or third choices. Yeah. And I was like, crap, I can't put all my eggs in one basket. So, so then you were basically, you thought you were destined for, for physio. Yeah. And then when you got a shit mark, you're like, oh, well, not <laughs> <Neat>. time. <laughs> okay. Ooh, um, so yeah, I think then I started to kind of look at my options. Yep. I think definitely like nursing was on the table, speech okay. path, radiography, all yep. that. But I actually got an offer for Thomas. Okay. At Macquarie. Interesting. Yeah, I don't okay. see myself doing that yeah, at okay. all. Um, even though I got an offer for it. Um, Wait, did you put that as an option? Yeah, at like my oh. very last, like, okay. yeah. hundred, like, Yeah, option. okay, your very, very last option. Um, yeah. And then coming to first year uni, I did a Bachelor of Health Science at UCID. Okay. Um, only because it kind of gave me the pathway to do my master's in 
any type of yeah. field. So you figured, can't do physio, don't want to do commerce, just yeah. do a Bachelor of Health Science yeah. to start with. Okay. Yeah, cool. So I did a year of that. Mm-hmm. By the end of it, I was absolutely hating my life. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because, I don't know, I just felt like it was very, it, it didn't get me anywhere by the end right. of it. It was very course. generic, basic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, so I transferred to paramedicine at Western oh, Sydney. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So I did a year of, West, of um, paramedicine to become a paramedic. Yep. So I got all my uniform ready, was yep. doing the things. How many years do. did you do paramedicine? One year. Okay. And then at the end of my first year of paramedicine, I was like, yeah, no, this is not for me. <laughs> okay. Um, only because it was really stressful. Right. And work balance life wasn't that great for me because I knew you know, in the far future I couldn't be working like 15-hour shifts and, you know, trying to start a family. Mm. So I go into podiatry. Okay. So who gave you or what gave you the idea to get into podiatry? Actually, my mom did. Oh, really? My mom. Um, initially in high school, my mom was like, oh, you should try to do podiatry. I'm like, feet? No, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Not about that life. Um, but it was actually my grandma who yeah. actually kind of, sparked the idea because my grandma suffered from diabetes okay um and she passed away from diabetic complications so you know podiatrists our whole thing is you know dealing with a lot of diabetes as well can you explain to me why diabetes influences or affects the lower limbs so much yeah so the high sugar levels within the blood it affects three main things so your eyes your kidneys and your feet right so there's a lot of focus on of course you know trying to keep your sugar levels down but having chronic high sugar levels and having that up and down, you know, high to low, high to low, actually starts to um, cause your nerves and your blood blood vessels kind of narrow and mm-hmm. just not work anymore. Yep. So a lot of patients have neuropathy, um, peripheral neuropathy, where they don't, they don't feel anything in their feet. Right. Walking around, if they step on something sharp or, you know, create a wound, they don't feel it. Infection comes in, gangrene, they yeah. lose their foot. Okay, cool. And with diabetes, obviously, I mean, we know what diabetes yeah. is, but can you explain how a podiatrist would see diabetes? Do yeah. you see diabetes in a different way or is it just, you know, how yeah. do you see it? Right now, I, I think doing podiatry, I see diabetes being really, like it's a prevalent medical condition. You know, I think yeah. there's a really high statistic in Australia where a lot of Australians like, don't remember the statistic, but it's really high. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, talking to my patients who are diabetics, it's like, yeah. oh, so what do you know about diabetes? Yeah. So they, they know they have diabetes, yeah. but they don't know what has caused it, what it influences and stuff yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah. I see that very commonly as a personal trainer as well. Mm-hmm. Some people come to me and they're like, oh, I have diabetes and I want to lose weight. I'm like, yeah, that's great. They want to lose weight, but do you even know what diabetes is doing to you, to your body? And I'm like, no, not really. So yeah. yeah, I think we do play a role in explaining what diabetes actually does to the body. And it's really interesting because I was talking to you a few weeks ago about losing nerve or losing feeling in your legs yeah. when you have diabetes mm. and I actually have a client who doesn't have feeling in his legs and he didn't know why mm. and then I spoke to him and he said oh he's, he's diabetic and stuff and then that's how we sort of understood the cause of that and then I recommended him to go see a podiatrist mm. so there you, go. there you go so during uni what was your experience were you very social were you I mean you hopped around you started with at UCID doing yeah. health science and then Western Sydney paramedicine. When did you do your podiatry? Western it, Sydney Western as well. Sydney. Yeah. How many years was that? Four years. So you stay at uni for a total of six, six years? Six years, yeah. Okay, cool. So a long time. <laughs> yeah. Were you doing a lot of other stuff during uni? Or was it just sort of go to uni, do your stuff and then go home? I think I 
when I was going to uni, I was training a lot. And I think that's what kind of got me really into, interested in podiatry because okay. like, integrating gym and powerlifting yep. and all of this really helped, you know, build up my foundation for biomechanics and sports okay. medicine. Okay, cool. And so at uni, were there a lot of societies for podiatry or did you join a lot of societies? No. no. So compared to UCID and Western Sydney, like UCID had a lot of like societies, all yep. those groups. I think Western Sydney really had really only had VSA. Oh really? Um, but even then, I wasn't really into it. I yeah. just was just in uni, at uni. Uh, but I was very social. Yeah. I think I'm I'm pretty big extrovert when it yeah. comes to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, no society is just okay. in and out. Were you working at the same time? Yeah, I was. Like, what were you doing? I was doing cotton on the retail. Mm, okay. Retail assistant. So your whole uni career, you were working in retail at the yeah. same time. Okay, yeah. and then you were training. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, that's a pretty good summary of what you do. Yeah. So now with podiatry, you've just started this year. Yes. Yeah. Correct. Cool. And so how are you finding it? I am loving it. Good. It's really, really such an awesome career path. Yeah. I think there's so many things I can delve into because yeah. it's not just, you know, you're becoming a clinician. That's it. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons why I chose podiatry is like there's a different routes I can go down. Like if I wanted to work with a big shoe brand, okay. private practice, hospital, yeah. teaching, you know, it's so mm. much I can get into. Right. So being a podiatrist doesn't restrict you just treating patients, no. right? So what are the different avenues? So you said, uh, what was that, working with a big shoe brand and stuff? Yeah. Is that making the insoles uh, for shoes? It, or It's more like going around and kind of being not a salesperson, but you're kind of sh showing other, you know, private clinics, universities about the shoe itself and what, uh, you know, okay. the benefits of it. Um, yeah. Working with Athletes Foot as well. A yeah. huge, huge podiatry brand behind um, Athletes Foot. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people don't see all that work that goes into making shoes and yeah. insoles and stuff. Because for me, when I see a shoe, it's just the outside, right? Yeah. Like, you don't really look about what's in, in on the inside. But you're on. You're right. You're on your feet all day long, and you've got to wear something comfortable. I've only found a shoe that's actually comfortable, yeah. that I can stand on the whole day. Because as a PT, I'm on my feet for like you know six hours, eight hours, ten hours, yeah. and so I need shoes that are really, really comfortable for me. Yeah. And I've only found one shoe that suits me. What shoe was it? Um, Nike. He knows his shoes. Nike. Nike. Um, the good one. Yeah, the good one. Yeah, that's the good one. <laughs> I don't know the name. I don't know the name, but it's, yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I like it. Uh, but basically, yeah, 100%, I think people don't see the value of what, so the value of podiatrists to start with. Yeah. And then also that it, they just look over all the stuff that goes into a shoe. With podiatry though, is this what you want to like? Do you, do you want to stay treating patients, or do you want to move on to something else? What's the, what's um, the goal? Yeah, being a new grad, I do want to start treating like treating patients in for a while because you kind of get a lot of experience from just treating patients yourself, yep. following through like their treatment program and yep. everything. But at the end of the day, my biggest dream is to open up my own clinic. Nice. And I think eventually, I wouldn't say I would be 100% off the tools, but I think a lot of my time will be invested in building that business. Yeah. But I really need to get that experience first. Definitely. Getting my foot in the door. Yeah. And so with your own clinic, do you think it'll be just podiatry or would it be like a health care mm. center or something? Good question. Not sure. Not sure. Yeah. I Either way, I would love both. Mm. I think I am more, I guess, knowledgeable in opening just a pod clinic just pure pod but it would be awesome to have like our, our like health in it yeah physios ot's mm. chiros you know yeah. it'd be awesome but i need to have that kind of foundation set yeah yeah cool so with podiatry what are the common issues that you see with your clients 
Um, so it kind of varies. So there's two main treatments that podiatrists kind of do. So general treatments mm-hmm. and biomechanical assessments. Okay. So general treatments would be like you come in and you have an ingrown toenails or you have <laughs> okay. diabetes and you will have a diabetic, diabetic foot assessment okay. checkup kind of thing or right. corns, callus, right? So general nail skincare, plus vascular stuff, wounds. And then we have our biomechanical assessments. Okay. So you come in with heel pain, mm-hmm. um, ball foot pain, toe pain. Um, we kind of do like a mechanical, you know, non-weight bearing, weight bearing kind of checks with that. Right. Okay. Um, and assessments. So yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So same reason I'm like coming in. I'm like, hey, Nikki, I've got really, really bad pain in the arch of my foot. Yes. What would you be looking at? I would be looking at first and foremost shoe wear, footwear, okay. like. Um, what you're wearing at home, yep. what you're wearing at work, what do you do for work? A lot of it is just a lot of this these session is trying to get your history out and right. finding out what you do, medical history and whatnot, uh-huh. and then doing an assessment. So having you sit down, mm. checking through all your joints, your foot joints, you know, how you know, if you're hypermobile, restricted, okay. um, the level of hypermobility you have, you yep. know. Um, and weight bearing exercise, um, exercises, assessments, because mm-hmm. all your, you know, it's not just your body mass on the ground, but yep. it's gravity and Pushing your body you mass. Right. So seeing how you are there mm-hmm. and going for a walk. So I look at your gait, okay. your gait assessment, how you're walking just barefoot, yep. if you're compensating yep. for anything. Okay, cool. And then from there, what would the treatments be? Would it be like a massage or depends? <laughs> it, look, I can't give you a one dead straight answer yeah, because right. it really depends on the patient. Yeah. But um, with podiatrists, our main things that we prescribe custom orthotics. Okay. So my analogy that I give my patients is that when you want to buy or get reading glasses because you can't see that well, do you go to a like chemist to get reading glasses or do you go to optometrist? Right. That's okay. the sort of thing. So podiatrists, mm, it's custom. You know, I see. We kind of we we put do it to the foot, we put it into the shoe, and it, it's biomechanical alignment. So do you put a mold of the foot and then you adjust the orthotic yeah. based on right? Yeah. Do you make the orthotics just... I don't. Like you design it yourself? Yeah, we okay. design it, but a lot of pods out there, a lot of my friends now, you know, they make their own orthotics by hand. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just it depends wow. on, you know, the type of clinic you work at. Okay. Cost to ratio benefit from making yeah. them versus getting them sent off. Yeah, but, okay. yeah, in uni, we learned how to make them from scratch. So oh, really? How do you make an orthotic? So it's a really long process, but basically we get plaster, like, you know, arts and crafts kind of plaster. We put it on the patient's foot and we manipulate the foot to be in their neutral position. Okay. And we wait for it to set. And when you take it off the foot, it's like a mold of your foot, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, we fill it with a certain material, depending on what you need. If you need like a poly, so something really, really hard and corrective. Okay. Or you, you need a, a top of orthotic that's accommodative. Uh-huh. So we use a soft material, feels like, you know, really good. Okay. Fill it in and we, before we even do that, we take your measurements. Mm. You know, your degree of neutral versus just your resting position. Right. And we post it to your neutral or whatever you need in that instance. Okay. So um, say, for example, like your arch is really, really flat. Like you don't have an arch. Then you yeah. would put an arch in that orthotic. Yeah, in a sense. To but, correct it. Yeah. But there's different intrinsic and extrinsic modifications you can do the orthotic. Like right. it's a whole big engineering kind of thing. Okay. That, you know, it's, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to your training then. You mentioned yes. that you trained during uni and I know that you train now. That's why your Instagram name is Nikki Trains. Nikki Trains. Uh, obviously, you were into health and stuff yeah. because you wanted to get the physio. But what got you into the gym? Good question. So when I was younger, let's say 15, 16, really, really overweight. Like I was hitting like good maybe 85, okay. 90 kilos and me yeah. being five foot two, 160 yeah. centimeters on a good day. 
it's not, you know, not a bad good, ratio. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, so yeah, I think with that coupled with every week going out to eat, right. drinking, doing yeah. bad stuff. What, when you're 15, 16? Yeah. You were 100%. drinking? 100%. Seriously? Yeah, it was oh, okay. actually really bad. Okay, wow. Um, what, what, what were your parents saying? Were they like, yeah, go for it? I don't know what my parents were saying. Okay, just, mom and dad don't watch this. Don't watch this. <laughs> um, no, I think it was just not a great lifestyle I was getting okay. into. Yeah, right. And longevity-wise, it's not. So would, was that affecting your education and stuff as well? Or were you just like going out on the weekends? Yeah, and, it's just the weekends. Okay. It wasn't okay. just like... It wasn't like a full, like, are oh, you slacking at school? Yeah. And, okay, cool. Okay, it's pretty switched on, but I yeah. think even with HSC, it wasn't my thing just sitting and sitting in an exam and trying to get the highest mark. I just don't think it was good for me. Okay, fair enough. And so when you were 15, 16, you started to get overweight. Yeah. What happened from there? Then I think I just needed to, I think I was, I hit rock bottom. Okay. And I needed to turn my life around because if I was going to go, into my 20s mm. still living a really shit lifestyle yeah. it wasn't going to be great for me in the future so obviously that affected you physically mm-hmm. were there any mental sort of battles during that time as well yeah yeah i think my self-esteem probably had hit a pretty big low yeah um i think you know even when i was younger you know i didn't have any boyfriends or anything like that <laughs> right. or anything not that it shaped who i was but i was like oh why don't people like me like other girls like people, you know. Yeah, like why does this bitch have a boyfriend? But not yeah, me. Well, not me. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, <laughs> cool. So that started your journey then. Yeah. Was that your first step into the gym? Like, is that what made you sign up for a membership and get into the gym? Did you know what you were doing at the gym? What was what was the start like? No idea what I was doing. Yeah. Um, but I think what really pushed me into the gym was actually my boyfriend. Okay, so you did have a boyfriend. Um, yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so you ended up having a boyfriend. Yes. And, despite how you looked and, and felt. And felt, yeah. Um, still <laughs> okay. my boyfriend now. Six okay, years Congrats. going strong. Nice. Um, but yeah, he was a huge, you know, gym rat, gym dude. Okay. Um, and At what age was this? What age? 17. Okay, so 15, 16, where you were like, oh shit, I'm going to make a change, I'm going to change. Yeah. You got a boyfriend when you were 17. 17. And then that's when he pushed you to go to the gym. Yeah. So, okay, so he yeah. said that you should, or he was proposing the idea or like, yeah. okay. Playing with the idea yeah. in your mind. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And so what gym was this that you first started at? Fitness Studio 2166. Mm, yeah. Okay. Cool. Days. Yeah. And how did that go? It was good. Yeah. Um, I think maybe, I think it was a huge smack in the face. Right. Literally. Like a reality show. Yeah. Like, okay. how did I not do this? It's down the street from me, this uh-huh. gym. You uh-huh. know, it's really awesome just to see a really, you know, like another side of Life, life basically okay um but it was hard i think just mm. being really overweight and yep. like learning how to squat bench deadlift it was just so new to me yeah and, and you you don't perform those movements outside of the gym no. really and if you're not moving much you're yeah. just like you, just, it's very very foreign to your body so yeah. it's very hard to learn was it hard to learn 100 percent. yeah right learning how to bench i was like what the heck is this were you playing a lot of sports when you were younger or not really oh i d- did do a lot of martial arts. Oh, nice. Yeah, so okay. I did a lot of taekwondo, karate oh, okay. was little. Mm. Um, but even then, I kind of just lost it. Yeah, during high school, you don't really do it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, very common in a lot of people. Mm. When you first started then, was there like a program? Did you have a PT or like nothing, like bare? Literally just following what my boyfriend was doing. Right, okay. Yeah. And did that work well? Look, I think initially, I think maybe it's um, like beginner's luck where you kind of just lose a lot of weight. Newbie gains sort of thing. Yeah, newbie okay. gains, exactly. So yeah. I think just, just following what he was doing. Okay. But 
Jeez, he was all upper body focused, and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> right. Do I do legs in this or what? Right. So you did a lot of upper body. Yeah. Which is opposite to what all the females do when they first start. Yeah. Mm, okay. Um, were you also looking at your diet? Were you doing cardio or were you just training with him? I was just training with him, but I started to eat really, really healthy, like being really yeah. conscious, you yeah. know, not going out to eat, yep. you know, eating really well during the week. Yep. But even then, I didn't know anything about macros or anything. Calories and stuff. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. Just making a conscious decision not okay. to eat like shit. And then uh, what was your progress from there? Did you lose a lot of weight or did you hit a plateau? What happened? I think when I hit, when I was 85, was yep. when I started, I think I lost a good, maybe five or six kilos. Okay, nice. It was slow, slow yeah. and steady, but it yep. got me there. It just gave me an idea of everything. Yeah, cool. And so from there, did you start to do more research? What was the next few steps? What did I do? Yeah, I did more research. I think I started to train a lot of my friends, like my girlfriends. Yeah, right. Um, but even then, it was just like YouTubing, maybe okay. Instagram here and there, but Instagram wasn't that big back then. Yeah, yeah, right. That makes me sound really old. <laughs> uh, but yeah, maybe a lot of YouTube. I love Stephanie Buttermore. Okay, Back right. in the days. I don't know who she is, but... Oh, what? I don't know who. Oh my gosh. Stephanie Buttermore? Yeah, Stephanie. Who is she? I need... I'll show you. Okay. Like, she's awesome. Um, All right. So she like legit, like good... Yeah, good. I love science, evidence-based kind oh, of good. love um, yeah. research, but... yeah. That's what I really don't like about the fitness industry these mm. days. There are a lot of people who are influencers. Yeah. But all they say is just bullshit. Like, like to be very frank, all they say yeah. is just bullshit. And a lot of the stuff that they do is just for them to make their ass look big or to yeah. make themselves look big. But there is no science. There's no real evidence behind what they do. So I think my best advice to our listeners and whoever's watching is if you are looking to get into the whole fitness world and start working out. Try to find someone who's reputable and someone who uses evidence and science to back up what they do. Moving on though, yes. um, with your whole fitness journey, what, because I know that you're an awesome lifter now, yeah. what was the transition from super newbie and super basic, didn't know what you're doing, YouTube lifestyle, YouTube university mm -hmm. to what you do now? Um, it actually started when I started doing podiatry, my first year pod. Okay. Um, I met my coach, mm -hmm. Angus, who is mm. still my coach now. Mm, cool. Um, and yeah, even back then, back in 2017, 18, yep. he, you know, was a SNC coach, so okay. strength and conditioning coach and powerlifting coach. And I was like, hey. Were you in the same cohort or was he older? Yeah, same cohort, okay. same everything. And he, we actually went to uni back in Houston, same year, same course. Oh, really? Okay. Never met each other. Yeah. Um, no idea who it was. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was like, Hey, I'm a powerlifting coach. I'm like, cool. Okay. I really want to get into it. Right. Um, cause seeing athletes online with like Steffi Cohen and all that yep. really, you know, sparked my interest. Okay, cool. Yeah. And so that's when you started to get into powerlifting. Yeah. Mm. So you were just doing random gym stuff yeah. for the first like, what, two years, two, yeah. three years. Yep. And then he started to program you and stuff. Yeah. Programming, um, I think taught me more about macros. So okay. he was kind of both my powerlifting and kind of macro coach mm. which is really awesome because yep. i just needed someone external yep. you know it's easy for your partner to say hey babe do this do that yeah. but i need someone to be like hey bitch fucking do this like, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i mean even for me I, I still have a coach even though i'm a pt myself i still have a coach and i find it very useful because it's just an unbiased opinion yeah. on what you should be doing yeah i know if i program myself i'd leave out a lot of the shit that i don't like to do. yeah. I, I think a lot of athletes are the same whereas if you have a coach 
they just tell you what to do and there's no bias in it. There's no like, oh, you like this? Okay, we'll give you this. 100%. No, it's like, you need to do this, so you're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And so starting from then, what has progressed or what have you done to get to where you are now? So I think making more progress on my weight loss, yeah. I think I dropped down to what I am now. So I think when I met him, I was maybe roughly 75, mm-hmm. 70 kilos. Yep. And now ranging around 60 to 65 kilos nice. in that range. Yeah, yeah. cool. Um, and yeah, just lifting wise, just pretty much starting from the bottom, working my way up. Yep. Like he taught me how to deadlift, yeah. squat, bench, like everything properly. Uh-huh. And really the importance of, you know, deload week, doing my warm accessories, ups. warm ups. Yeah, yeah. Um, and anything, you know, in terms of injuries as well, you know. So since meeting your coach, what has progressed or what has changed to get to where you are now? I know you recently competed in a mm-hmm. powerlifting competition. What's changed or what have you done to progress? A lot of things have changed. So when I first started with Angus, geez, did not know how to squat, deadlift, bench properly. Numbers are low. I think technique-wise was terrible. Yeah. So since starting with him, you know, I think just even doing one-on-one sessions with him has been so awesome. Did you do one-on-ones with him at uni? Um, no, I what actually went up to his gym because he was um, coaching another gym. Where was that? Jeez, uh, I don't remember the name. Adonis or something? Or? No, it was before his coast gym in Surrey Hills. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, and then, yeah, he's at Adonis now. Yeah, okay, um, cool. I think. But yeah, no, everything is just pretty much gone out of the roof, you know, mm. just learning just the basics yeah. again. So he basically brought you back to fundamentals and yeah. taught you technique and stuff. And then we just on a program for a few years and just kept progressing and progressing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I started off doing the pole powerlifting thing, but I kind of dipped my toes into a little bit of bodybuilding. Okay. I remember back then when, you know, it was pre-COVID times, you had music festivals and yeah, whatnot. Yeah. So I did the whole, you know, shredding for Stereosonic kind of thing. <laughs> okay. Um, so yeah, I think that, period where I think it was Festival X. Yeah. I lost, I went down to 58 kilos. Right. And you know, it was more bodybuilding based. Yeah. No powerlifting at all. So you weren't doing compounds at all? Or were you doing, you're still doing your compounds, yeah, but yeah. more bodybuilding like yeah. reps and sets and stuff. Yeah, which okay. was like, ooh, intense. Yeah, volume. Yeah. Um, but no, it was good though, really great experience. Okay, cool. um, and then after that, went straight to powerlifting um, and did my first goal. Would you say that you do more powerbuilding now or just powerlifting? Yeah. Per- for sure power building now. Yeah. I think I kind of lost my interest in power, power lifting, like maybe beginning of this year. Like strictly power lifting. Yeah, because I kind of got bored of just doing the same movements, but now I mm. think now I'm starting to like want to do it again. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And tell me about your first comp. When, when was that and how did you go? It was the end of last year, so mm. December 13th, 14th. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really awesome experience. Yeah. Like seriously doing any comp, being your first comp as well. For sure. Um, having really supportive people around me, meeting new people, it was really awesome. Yeah. But the only thing was that it was during my exams, so my oh, final uni shit. exams. Yeah. And the night before that, or two nights before that, I had my end of year kind of graduation ball kind right. of formal. So yeah, right. Couldn't really go hard in terms of like partying, but <laughs> not like I wanted to, yeah. um, because of course I took my comp, you know, it was my first priority. Yeah. So really great experience. I just kind of wish yeah. the circumstances with exams was on another like week or. Why didn't you wait for another, to wait, wait to do another comp later in the year or even early this year instead of doing late last year during exams? Because I wanted to do the Black Flag um, oh, but, novice but, yeah. ca- uh, comp first, mm. but mm. then I think that got post- postponed. So Adonis was the next one and I was already like balls deep into this 
comfort. Okay. So yeah. needed to just Let's I, get it done. Yeah. Commit to it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. How did you go? I mean, with powerlifting, for those who don't know, there aren't like rankings mm. really. It's all about your own, your own, how you go yourself and your wilks and all that stuff. Yeah. How do you think you went personally? Personally, I think I really wish I did a bit. I guess everyone says they kind of wish they did more weight. Yeah. Um, but I knew that, you know, I've hit all these, like all the numbers I hit. So for squat, I hit 125. Nice. Bench was 57 and a half mm -hmm. and deadlift was 155. Yeah. Which was really awesome um, because I think coupled with all the nerves and just mm. everyone watching you. I Plus think stress from uni and stuff. Stress. Um, I hit nine out of nine of all my lifts. Nice. Um, cool. But I've hit those numbers in the gym before. Ah, uh, okay. So they weren't new PRs yeah. or anything. But yeah, I think it was an awesome experience, but I just wish everything was a bit different. Yeah. Do you have ambitions to compete again? Yeah, I yeah. really do. I mm. want to do another novice comp. Yep. I know a lot of people are saying, don't do another novice comp, just do a sanctioned one. But yeah. I think I need to kind of familiarize myself in that environment once again. I kind of yeah. like get rid of all my nerves before mm. I do a proper, legit powerlifting comp and yeah. hopefully just progress from there. Yeah. So for those who are listening or those who are watching with a powerlifting competition, basically the way it works is you have three attempts at three movements. You've got your squat, bench and deadlift. And so obviously you'll start on a more conservative number for your first attempt and then you'll move up from there. And so what Nikki was saying about sanction versus novice. Novice, you just sort of rock up and you lift. Whereas with sanctioned, there are progressions to it. So if you reach a certain number or reach a certain level, then you can progress to states and internationals and all that stuff. So just a little FYI there. Um, so you have ambitions to do sanctioned. Yeah, for sure. But later when you feel a bit more confident. Yeah. Right. With competing, do you get really nervous? Is that something that you feel often? Like, do you get, are you an anxious person or what's it like for you? Competing wise, oh man, I was so nervous. Really? I was really, really, I just thought. I don't see you as like nervous when you compete. I feel like you'd be really like hyped and G'd up. Yeah, I think maybe before, maybe setting up, like before going on the platform, I was like, oh, right. that looks really scary. I think right. a part okay. of me was like, oh, am I going to pee on the platform? <laughs> I think that's yeah. a huge thing with girls, you know, pelvic yeah. floor muscles, like yeah. everything there. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, I think it just can become second nature as soon as you do the lift. Are you a nervous person when you do like public speaking and stuff or is it just lifting that you get? Pretty nervous. A little bit of public speaking, but I did do a lot of public speaking when I was younger. Yeah. So, and I think sometimes when I speak, I just just flows out like normal. Yeah. Um, but sometimes when I, when I'm treating patients and it's a very complex, you know, patient with X Y Z, mm. sometimes I think to myself, "Oh, that is interesting," and I kind of need to um, like find more, in a sense, guidance from another, maybe like- Make sure that you're saying the right yeah. things, right? Okay, yeah. And that's um, when you get sort of anxious or nervous. Yeah. Okay, cool. But at the end of the day, I need, to, you know, I have a lot of confidence in, within myself to yeah. be a good podiatrist, mm. good, you know, lifter. lifter. Yeah. So, yeah, mm. kind of just get over it. With you being my first female person that I've had on the podcast, yeah. let's talk about the things that are more specific to female lifters. Mm -hmm. So, I know that a lot of females, you say, you know, peeing on the platform, yeah. that's actually not, it's not unrealistic. Yeah. It's a real chance that you might pee when you deadlift and stuff, yeah. um, especially when there are any issues or basically weak pelvic floor. Tell me about how you see yourself as a female lifter mm. and any specific things that males might not actually experience. I think it's just really difficult just being a girl in a powerlifting world because mm -hmm. so many you know social media influencers or even the girls at the gym 
you know, it's very geared toward oh, looking really Being good. Being beauty and stuff like that, yeah. peach in. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of just said, I'm not putting any crap on them, but I think we, us as women, we need to empower ourselves. You know, some guys are like, oh, she deadlifts heavier than me. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and what? Like, yeah, am I sure. not allowed to do that? Yeah. And some guys get really intimidated because mm. of that. So I think that there's a lot of stigma around girls doing that. And yep. when girls bench especially, you know, so I know so many girls on Instagram who are killing the game with their bench game mm. and I love it. I thrive off of it. Yeah. So yeah, just a lot of problems with just guys just like having really um, negative yeah, connotations towards female lifters. Insecurities yeah. as well. Honestly, like there is no issue with girls lifting. I think the issue comes from males who are yeah insecure about themselves mm. and have an ego. I think people who are at the gym need to seriously just drop their ego, yeah. start from, from the bottom and start from the basics and foundations and then just go from there. Everyone's there to help to improve themselves. Yeah. And if everyone there can just be supportive and be helpful, it'd be a much better environment in the gym rather than what can happen these days. 100%. Yeah. Tell me about peeing on the platform. <laughs> <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? No. Okay. Never. Yeah. Um, I think the only thing is it's completely normal, you yeah. know, especially with women who have just given birth mm -hmm. or um, just people who just not have weak pelvic floor muscles, you know, yeah. but I think we need to change the thinking around it because it's so normal. I've seen a lot yeah. of YouTubers, like American powerlifting women who've yeah. done it and mm. it should just be like, oh, okay, that's right. Just clean it up and just go. Yeah, for sure. Um, but I think I've, I've battled with that myself. You know, what okay. if this happens? Like, oh, everyone's going to think that Nikki changed painted on the platform. That's all <laughs> she's known for, but... Yeah, she's known for being on the platform. Yeah, but yeah, right. yeah, never has happened. And if it does happen, that's all right. Like, for sure. Yeah. yeah, there's no issue with that happening. Yeah. And really, it's just because there's so much force that you generate, right? Yeah. And if you have a weak pelvic floor, then you just, um, you peak. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so I, I definitely agree with you. I think that sort of mindset in regards to female lifters, they're lifters, they're human, it's the same thing. It should be given the same respect and the same rights as any other lifter in the world. So. Yeah. yeah, cool. Mm. Are there, have there been any other battles that you've had to deal with being a female lifter? Maybe like boyfriend or family, mom, dad, has it ever happened to you? I think my biggest kind of battle was just my occurring, recurring injuries, which <laughs> okay. is right. really normal. Yeah. Um, I think when my family sees me in like, you know, in a lot of pain, Injured, yeah. not able to do certain things, they're like, oh, this is because you live so heavy. You shouldn't <laughs> be going to the gym. You should be in bed. I'm yeah. like, mom, I get that. I get, you know, from their perspective where they want to look after my, my, yeah. my well-being. Yeah, yeah, but at the end of the day, things happen. Mm. Shit happens, you know, yeah. you just have to kind of work around it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think even with my partner as well, he gets kind of worried sometimes if I like, right. text him, hey babe, my I back. Just tweak my back. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh crap, why? Like, <laughs> why again? You gotta look after yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much the only thing that I'm currently battling at the moment too. Yeah. Just yeah. my lower back being a bit funny. Mm. But I think it's, it's a whole mental game as well. Sure. Unless I've actually you know, done something really bad, which yeah. I really haven't. Mm. Uh, but I just battling that thing myself. Yeah, I think the other thing is also when people get injured, they tend to lean towards immobility mm. and they just go, okay, I'm just lying in bed and just sit down or not move at all. Whereas they should really be, if they can move as much as they can yeah. so that they can promote you know, blood flow in the injured yeah. area, which will help them heal faster. They can get more confident in, for example, if you sprain your ankle, actually what put weight on your ankle rather than not use it for two weeks yeah. because that can cause stuff like atrophy as well where you lose muscle and then you've got to work even harder to get back to where you mm -hmm. were before so yeah. yeah i think people when they get injured 
they tend to stay away from putting any weight or any load and moving and stuff. But I think that really has to change because actually moving around as much as you can when you can and not, when it's not as painful yeah. can actually be helpful. Yeah, and I think yeah. it kind of stems back from us being like our ancestors, you know, every time you were hurt, you had to rest and protect. Yes, yeah, for um, sure. But life is different now, you know, there's yeah. a lot of evidence backing up mobility and mm. getting back on your feet yep. or doing what you were doing. And, sure. you know, long-term, you know, type of rehab is doing more functional activities that Definitely. relate back to, you know, your normal daily life. Yeah, yeah, cool. Awesome. Let's shift gears for a bit. I want to talk about more mindset mm -hmm. and more motivation. What pushes you to train hard at the gym and do well in your career? I, I feel like that would stem from the same place. Yeah. What sort of motivates you and what is always in your mind pushing you? So I just really want to be a better version of myself. You know, waking yeah. up in the morning, even living my whole life, I just don't want to be stagnant mm. and just be like a typical person. Yeah. Um, I really want there to be progression and mm. at the end of the day you know if I wasn't the, a better person than I was yesterday there's kind of no point like yeah. you know what's you live only one life life's yeah. so short you're gonna make the most out of it For so sure. even just daily life like every day I read books a lot okay. of motivational books and nice. like I'm kind of I do this thing where a lot of people don't say to do it but I have two books reading two books at the same time okay. one's like podiatry focused business focused uh, right. one's yep. more for myself yep so I think really delving into that and just working on yourself, you know, mm. I really, I've learned the hard way in terms of, you know, dealing with a lot of friends who are not beneficial, not beneficial, but not providing value. You're providing value. Exactly. And it, you kind of, it sounds really bad, but you kind of have to drift away from that type of thing. Yeah. So you can work on yourself. For sure. Well, I mean, there's a quote where it's like, you are the result or you are the outcome of the five closest friends, yeah. right? You, you're completely right. I completely agree with you about being a better person than yesterday. That's always in my mind as well. And what pushes me to do better is just, if I am the same person that I was last week, or if I'm doing the same things as last week, there's no progress. There's no, there's no progress and I'm not moving anywhere. Mm. The way I see sort of my life and how I live my life is I'm on a highway, right? Mm -hmm. And at the end of the highway is my ultimate goal, whether that be in lifting, like I want to be able to like lift certain numbers or with business, I want to you know, do a certain thing with my business. Yeah. If I am always moving and there's always progress, I'm always doing something, there's action and I'm executing, then there's progress, then I'm moving, the wheels are moving. But if there's no action, I'm not executing, if I'm lying in bed all day, I'm not doing anything, then you're dead and yeah. you stop. Yeah. With your books, yes. what books do you read? So you got podiatry books, yeah. motivational books. Have there been any that really stand out to you? Uh, and what do you sort of tend, tend to read? So right now I'm reading, I'm listening to a kind of podiatry podcast. Oh, nice. And the podiatrist who's running the type of podcast has been a pod for, gosh, like a zillion years. <laughs> okay. Um, but he, the point of it that he, he's, he's opened and run very many successful businesses and okay. clinics. Yeah. And it's something that I really want to get into. So right. even reading that and just finding a lot of books from surgeon, podiatrists, like podiatric surgeons from America. Yeah. Puts in another like limelight onto yeah. my career. Be so is this an audio book that you no, do? Like you re oh, actually, read. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, because I don't know. I think lately I've just really been loving the idea of surgery, getting, okay. becoming a surgeon. Mm. But that kind of opens another can of worms, yeah. and I can't really get open my business any earlier. Yeah, um, yeah. You got to study and all that stuff, yeah. right? So as a podiatrist, are you a doctor? You're not, right? Sort yeah, of. Yeah, here and there. Look, okay. There's a lot of like wishy-washy kind of like gray area between yeah. that. A lot of pods out there put, you no know, doctor, 
you know, Nikki Dang, for example. Yeah. Um, but you always have to make sure you can put, you have to put in brackets podiatrist. A lot of chiros do it. Yep. Some physios do it. Mm. But obviously a doctor at the end of the day have to go to medical school. Yep. Have to get their medical license then they have you know, their proper yeah. medical degree. But yeah, right. um, I think some sometimes when you put the word doctor in front of it, it kind of represents to your patient. Like it gives, instills more trust into your patient. Okay. Yeah. Um, so do you have that title at your clinic? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes yeah. my clinic does use, use it, but other clinics don't. Okay. Um, I don't use it personally mm. um, because I think I really love Nikki trains and my density to be, you know, lifting and okay. podiatry. <laughs> so not, not, Nikki, not Dr. Nikki Trains. No, not Nikki Dr. Train. Nikki Trains. <laughs> <laughs> just Nikki Trains. Yeah. Cool. All right. So you're the first female that I've had on the podcast. And so with the podcast, I've tried to have male, female, male, female, but uh, obviously I've failed already with having Chris and Jamie first, but <laughs> trying to fix it up. Yeah. Uh, and obviously I want to have more cultural diversity too, so I can get more uh, like different insights and different perspectives. But for you as a female, what would you say to maybe your younger self or other females who want to get into lifting or want to get into podiatry? Mm. From what I know, podiatry is sort of a male-dominated industry. There are females in the, in the industry, but it's mainly males. What would your message be? So if I were to say it's to my younger self, I would really say if you want to go into a certain field, you need to experience it. So back then, if I really wanted to get into physio, I needed to sit in a room with a physio and see what they do every day. Right. Also with podiatry, I should have sat in with a podiatrist and see what they've done. So a lot of girls out there who are really wanting to get into the health field or into a certain niche, but they don't know anything about it. Mm. Um, doing research is great, like mm. online, Google, whatnot, but you need to be there face-to-face, -face, in person, yep. just to really know. Mm. Um, in terms of lifting, also, you need to get out there and you know try it for yourself. Like You have to step out of your comfort zone. I'm all yeah. about you know stepping out of a comfort zone because at the end of the day, if you're just staying in your little circle, little you're bubble. never going to grow. Yeah. And a lot of the girls out there are so comfortable, which I don't blame them because there's a lot of stuff out there where they say, girls shouldn't lift. Mm. Um, girls should be at home, you know, being a homemaker, raising kids, you know, and yeah. that kind of stigma is just, it's not right anymore. Yeah. I'm all about empowering women. Mm. So really getting out there, getting in touch with, you know, social media, if sure. you have any, you know, questions or anything, you know, pop up to the people on Instagram, like yourself, myself, because yeah. we're all open to answer any questions. Yeah, for sure. Um, I've had a lot of girls come up to me saying, you know, that I'm one of their biggest inspirations. Nice. I know. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> but yeah. it instills more confidence within myself yeah. and me giving out that value to them. It's, yeah. you know, it's two way street. It's yeah. really awesome. Yeah. And I don't mean to get political, but I think with a lot of the the ways that females think mm. isn't their fault. It's because of what males have done to mm. think that way. Yeah. Or not males, but society has forced them to think that way where, you know, they shouldn't be lifting, mm. you know, they shouldn't be lifting heavy, they should be at home, they should be studying, um, yeah. they shouldn't be like in our, our health and stuff like that. Yeah. So I think for a lot of females, I know I'm a male saying it, but I really want to help empower females as well. I want to be um, a, a good sort of uh, person in society too. I think getting rid of those biases, those influences and just thinking, okay, what makes me happy? Yeah. What do I want to do? And just follow it. Sure. There's nothing stopping you from getting to where you want to be. If you want to be a surgeon, be a fucking surgeon. Yeah. There's no reason why anything has to stop you. And I think the biggest thing that influences your success mm 
And the single most important variable of your success mm -hmm. is yourself. 200%. There's no other variable that can stop you from doing what you want to do. If you want it enough, it's got to work for it. Yeah. Yeah. And I it. think coming from an Asian background as well, like us two, a lot of boundaries there. Um, I think for myself, yeah. My being first generation Australian, my parents coming from a war-ridden country, yep. there was a lot of, you know, kind of expectations that I have to reach. Yeah. You know, getting 99 ATA, getting yeah. a job, yeah. getting earning money, getting a house, and that's yeah. it, you know? Mm -hmm. Which I completely understand. Like, it's yep. you know, one of my aspirations to do that too. Yeah. But I've got to, you know, live my life and yeah, sure. do what I want as well. Yeah, I think coming from an Asian background, I've been really grateful because my parents have been quite open. Mm. They've been willing to sort of listen and to learn about the culture here. But I know with a lot of other Asian families and people who come from an Asian background with their parents who are migrants or refugees, it's been like, go to school, go to uni, get a job, get a house, get a family, and that's basically your whole life. Yeah. But that's all they've only, that's all they've known. Yeah. So I don't blame them, uh, like you said, but for those who are from a migrant background, not just Asian, from a migrant background, I, I know that you guys might experience this as well. Don't let your parents dictate what you want to do. Sure. And if they, it has to come down to what makes you happy and what you enjoy. Yeah. If you're not doing what you're happy with, and if you're not happy with what you're doing, what's the point of doing it? Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're just there to make money, you can make money any other way. There's money everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> Centrelink, if you don't mm -hmm. have a job and you want to follow your passion, uh, you're unemployed and you want to follow photography or if you want to you know become a pt there are other ways that people will support you and we're so blessed to be in this country because there is so much support yeah if you are ever in the dumps and you're not really sure what to do and sure. so for me as a pt it's not the traditional pathway that i think my parents would have expected of me i actually went to uni to study a bachelor of commerce and you know i've completed my, my degree i finished it last year but my third year of uni is when I started to work as a PT. And so I think for them, they were like, oh, you know, are you going to continue with PT or are you going to actually get into the workforce, like get a real, get a real job yeah. in the future? And so I never saw myself, I, I did see myself actually working in corporate. Mm. But as I progressed and as I was exposed to more stuff, I was like, damn, corporate doesn't really look like my thing. And I think the main reason why is because I felt like I was very limited and restricted in what I could do in corporate. Mainly just in regards to if I wanted to run my own business, I'd be stuck there nine to five. And then after five, you know, if I wanted to get my training done, that would take me to like seven, eight. By that time, the, the day's almost done. Yeah. You know what I mean? Unless, you know, I wake up early and obviously I would if I really wanted it. But being a PT is a lot more flexible because I choose my own hours. I have my own business already. And so I can have a lot, I have a lot more leverage to use my PT business and get into other things. And so that's how I thought, and that's what makes me happy and what I enjoy. But it's not the common pathway that you'd see in someone who's, you know, who was school captain in high school, who yeah. went to uni and stuff like that. But I don't give a fuck what people say. Yeah. So <laughs> That's really awesome. I yeah. so respect that yeah. as well. And I really want to, you know, do that as well, I think. Yeah. That's why, you know, future goals is opening a business. Not that I don't want to work, but yep. it's having that flexibility. For sure. Um, yeah. And just growing, because I think I, I'm really trying to get out of the idea of working under someone for the rest of my life. Yeah. For sure, right now and for the next couple of years, 100%, because mm. I'm a, technically anyone out of uni, you're a rookie. Yeah, for you sure. Know, you can't expect yourself to have the same experience versus a pod who's been that for a gazillion years. Yeah. 
future-wise, starting a family, mm. buying my cars, <laughs> you know, sis yeah. has got to get good income in, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I think the last thing that I want to talk about is just social media. Uh, Nikki Trains on Instagram, you have quite a good following. You've got quite a big following. How did you get into social media and how do you see social media in terms of its role in your life? I really love social media. Um, I started off my Instagram account as just a a fitness kind of log to keep Mm. myself accountable. Mm. So going back, if you scroll back, it's just me just posting up, oh, today I did X, Y, Z. I was eating this, eating Mm. that. Um, And slowly it just progressed into kind of um, showing my weight loss um, on a wider spectrum of like, this is me 2018, 19, 20, Um, and then showing the type of food I would make on a daily basis. Right. And then I think I slowly um, molded it into a podiatry based yeah. kind of account. Mm. Um, so I'm posting more about foot health and yeah. you know stuff that people didn't know about podiatrists, yeah, like for cancer sure. fasciitis, yeah. diabetes. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm still slowly getting into that yeah. because it's a lot of work trying yeah. to make that kind of content. For sure. Um, but. Yeah, that's that's me. Are there a lot of pods on social media who are big? Ooh, there's a few, not that many compared to a lot of physios and yeah. PTs and whatnot, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I really kind of works in my favor because yeah, it's like sure. completely something different. Yeah. But also works against me because not that many people would know. And people would go to a lot of physios for foot pain or GPs for foot pain. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that has to change as well. I know a lot of people, even for myself, if I was feeling foot pain the first thing that would pop to my mind is my gp or yeah. my physio or yeah. chiro never really a podiatrist yeah so do you think the podiatry industry then is growing uh, you mentioned that social media isn't really a big thing for podiatrists mm-hmm. what do you think i think it is slowly growing um i think it grows in tune with the australian population so of course as you know obesity is a prevalent yeah. um, condition out there and as obesity increases mm. the more need of health practitioner increases as well right um so yeah even compared to my cohort back in uni we were a small cohort of like 40 30 people oh, really um, but now, like, the cohort is, like, maybe 90, 80. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah so, so it's doubled. Yeah, so slowly but surely. But I really want, envision podiatry to be more um, evident on social media, just yeah. so we can just provide more content and more yeah. um, education to the general yeah. public. Yeah, no, I think what you're doing with podiatry is very, very good. I think it's the same thing as for me when I post stuff like, oh, try this exercise mm. or try this warm-up and stuff. For you and your content, it's like, oh, you're feeling this sort of foot pain, you know, this is what it could, uh, this is the cause of it. Yeah. And these are the things that could help fix it, which I think are very, very useful. Uh, I think with podiatry, it just needs to be more prevalent. Yeah. And yeah, you're playing a pretty good role in mm-hmm. making it bigger. Thanks, yeah. I'm trying my best. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think myself being like in a lifting and podiatry kind of niche with yeah. like my page, yeah. it's something different as well. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So. I think even lifting gives you some credibility too. Yeah. The fact that you are lifting and you are mobile and you play sports, oh, not play sports, but you're like an athlete, amateur yeah. athlete. Um, and that you're a podiatrist, it sort of gives you some credibility too. Yeah, and yeah. it ties in with my patients as well. Like if I had someone coming in who's a power lifter and yeah. has, you know, heel pain you know i would evaluate the type of exercises they're doing That's their it. form and it mm. really works well yeah yeah it's really helping me cool so let's talk about the final thing like your future yeah at the moment obviously you're working at a clinic at a private clinic as a podiatrist treating patients 
where do you see yourself the next five, ten years? Ooh, questions. So five years time, I think first and foremost, I would really love my social media to pop up. I think I would really want to hit 10k because that would be okay. awesome but yeah. on course, Instagram right 10K on Instagram yeah. yeah of course I'm not just looking at the number but I, I look at it as you know I'm able to reach more people yeah provide more value provide more value like social media is just awesome but I don't even have a personal account I use my personal account for just I don't use it so it's mainly just business you know yeah. um, and also in five years time I would love to you know, in the works of opening up my own clinic mm-hmm. um, for sure be working a part time maybe contractor working for myself um, so getting that in the works yeah. as well, yeah. Cool. And so in 10 years time, then what would that look like? Ooh, I think for sure having like a bricks and mortar kind of clinic somewhere in the Westies because mm-hmm. I need to provide more, more um, healthcare to our Asian population. Okay, so you want to be based around yeah. here? Fairfield or Liverpool is that sort of area for sure I I need to really utilize my background my you know able to speak Vietnamese yeah and providing more healthcare man like Mm. no one or all the older population here don't know about podiatry yeah then they need it yeah yeah for sure and I think I mean not just Asian old Asian ladies but Mm -hmm. like old old population in general yeah they tend to just go towards GPs for medication, yeah. right? I see that as a very common trend where it's like, oh, you know, I'm feeling this, okay, I'm gonna go to my GP to get painkiller. Yeah. Whereas where, oh, I mean, what they should be doing is actually getting it treated properly and, you know, do rehab exercises. And I think a lot of old people too, the issue is that they don't believe that they can exercise. Sure, yeah. And I think that's a really big issue too. I'm, I'm trying to get my own parents. I know you've successfully gotten yeah. your parents in the gym, which is awesome. I really want to start persuading and pushing my parents to get to the gym or at least do some form of exercise because it'll help with not just them feeling healthier, but they're gonna live longer too. For sure. And I want my parents to stick around until I'm yeah, old. Yeah, So I think a lot of old people need to start thinking if anyone, if there's any old people listening to this <laughs> podcast or watching on YouTube, um, yeah, get into exercise. It's not something that will break your bones. It's gonna make your muscles stronger and your bones stronger. Strengthens your bones, reduces the risk of falls. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely not to discredit any of the GPs in our area, but yeah. we need to really start to educate them that, you know, exercise is awesome. That's it. There's other allied health, because yeah. sometimes with pain, they're like, Panadol, mm, yeah. all this, all that. So, it's like, damn, yeah. like, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, even with plantar fasciitis pain, you know, mm. oh, you just gotta drink a lot of like codeine and a lot of panadol <laughs> and yeah. I'm like, Shh. yeah, and, and there have been things where it's like, oh, I'll just get a cortisol shot in your yeah. leg if there's leg pain yeah. and it's fine, just continue. Yeah. So I think, yeah, that needs to change for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of things that need to change 100%. from this conversation. Um, first is, you know, perception of females lifting and then. We've got the whole thing with migrant families and stuff, but we're all trying our best to slowly but surely make the difference that we can. Yeah, yeah. that's what cool. it matters. I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah, I think, I think so that's too. very nice. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to add? Anything you want to say about yourself or a message to other females in the world? What do you think? Man, just keep going. Keep going and living your life. Yep. Life is so short, man. I've yep. just known that just only recently man like okay. you just gotta do the things that you want to do mm. don't be tied down live your best life that's yeah. my motto bro like yeah, live, live your, your best, best life. life yeah for sure I, I definitely agree with that like there's nothing that should be stopping you from doing what you yeah. want to do if you want to go out on the weekend and go party go do it yeah. but at the same time you also want to think about your goals um, balance there's there's got to be a good balance in what you do 
I think a way to achieve a good balance is just think about whether or not what you're doing at the moment, your actions are providing you with any value and getting you closer towards your goals. Yeah. And you've got to come up with a compromise and sacrifice as well. Obviously, you know, every, you could perform and execute on every single thing every single day, but you could get burnt out and you might, you might lose friends, lose family and stuff like that. So there's got to be that sacrifice there when you, you know, go to sleep and have a good night's sleep yeah. and stuff. Don't just stay up late and wake up early all, all the time. Yeah. Um, you need to look after yourself and your health. But also on the weekends or when, when you have time, also see the value of your friends and your family too. Yeah. I think a lot of people who are similar to us, who are very geared towards, got to push, got to push, got to go, got to um, do better. They lose sight or lose the value of their friends and their family and actually spending time with them. Mm. When that's their number one support group. And if you're not spending time with your support group and you're not supporting them back, they're not going to support you and what you do. Yeah. So I think there's got to be that good sort of balance between Yes, push as hard as you can and keep executing and keep actioning everything that you can do to help you get closer to where you want to be. But at the same time, sometimes you do have to sacrifice those sort of actions and executing all the time to actually spend time. Because although it might not bring value to your goal specifically and directly, it is providing you with value because the people that you hang out with provide you with value too. Yeah. But with that, with that in mind, if the people you hang out with don't provide you with value, yeah. change your friends. Yeah. It's tough, but it, it, it is really true. The people that you hang out with really do define you, as sad as that sounds, but he's got to make it work. And like I said, make sacrifices. Yeah. And definitely yeah. watch out for your mental health. But I think mm. keeping that on top of your physical health as well, yep. man, like it really plays a big part. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for sticking around, Nikki, and speaking to me. I hope you, guys, I hope you enjoyed this experience. And I hope to all our listeners and people who are watching this video, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. First video that we've done for the podcast. I think it was really cool. Um, you'll see some little segments and stuff cut up on our social medias. So hopefully you guys enjoy that too. If you are not already, follow the Daily Hustle podcast on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you follow our YouTube channel as well. And find us on Instagram at dailyhustle.apparel. You can find me. On Instagram, kelvintrain.fitness, and you can find Nikki at Nikki Trains. Nikki Trains. N I C K I Trains. Trains. Choo choo. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys in the next episode.